I'm not going to do a summary of last month's message. I'll just touch on a couple of things. Um, we began this conversation. Um, Janet and I have been studying in the mornings in our Bible study, and we've just come across some things. We just really believe God's up to something, and we're just pursuing that. Um, and it has everything to do with Paul, what Paul had just said. Um, I've had the same conversation with my son, and I just really believe there's something in this for us. And so last, last month we talked about the authority that we carry that we haven't realized what is available to us that we haven't drawn on, as, both as children in God's family and as citizens in his kingdom. There are benefits and things that come to us that are latent. They're there and available to us, but we haven't known how to lay hold of them. Would you agree with me that we're not living the lives we could? Uh, not because we don't want to or we haven't tried. We've just not known how, I believe, because every person here has a beautiful heart or you wouldn't be here. You're seeking after God. And, uh, and this is a community where we intend to do that. So I'm going to talk tonight about, I'm going to continue this conversation. And I think that uh, there's some points here that we can get hold of uh, based on what I just, um, my study and what Paula was leading in on prayer. It was consistent. So um, I'm going to start off talking about the gospel of the kingdom. When uh, of all the things that Jesus taught on, this is the subject that came up the most in every conversation he had. Even in Luke 4, he says, he said to them, he says, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because for this purpose I have been sent. This single thing he's come is to preach this message called the kingdom of heaven. So there must be something about it. The references in the Bible, just in the New Testament, not counting the Old Testament, to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, there's 116 references, 35 of which Jesus spoke of just on the subject of the kingdom of heaven. And, and I just went through line upon, I can't even read you all the verses, line upon line. He said the kingdom of heaven is like this, and it's like this, and it's like this, and it's like this. And all of these parables were always about the kingdom of heaven is like this. He was trying to describe something for us so we could get a picture of it in our minds and begin to have faith to believe i think i heard uh it was randy clark said one time he says uh, if, if i can ever if i ever heard jesus preach a sermon about the kingdom it was it would sound like this change the way you're thinking because the kingdom of heaven is at hand Time and time, and I mean, seven times in Matthew 5, he told them, you know, you've always heard it said this, but I'm here to tell you the truth. So he's changed the way you're thinking because something's here that you need to get hold of. You with me so far? All right, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick this up and we're going to make some points here. Uh, with that thought in mind, I'm going to look at Matthew 6 tonight. Uh, actually, two or three verses, but I'm going to start here because... Um, this is Jesus teaching his followers, and he was as he went about his ministry, he had his, his entourage of disciples and followers, and he was always constantly preaching and then teaching, preaching and then teaching, and coaching them along, and little did they know it was because he was preparing them for his departure one day. And he's here in, this, in uh, Matthew 6, verses 6 and 7, he's teaching them how to pray. Now, if you're Catholic, you got this one knocked out. It's the Our Father, right? And we, we can do that in our sleep. But I want to go through it in a different translation and just hit on a couple of points. I'm not going to teach you the whole thing. This, 
as I read through it, I, I saw four sermons. And I'm trying to avoid those, okay? I'm not going to do any rabbit trails. I'm trying to stick with one point, but I'm going to read through it with you because it starts off in, in, with his words. He says, now, when you pray, there's no need to repeat empty phrases. This is a contemporary version. Praying like those who don't know God, for they expect God to hear them because of their many words. There is no, there's no need to imitate them since your Father already knows what you need before you ask him. Instead, he says, pray like this. Our Father. Now, you understand, he starts off here, he's not using the typical Hebrew language of Jehovah or Yahweh. He's introduced something new. This is, God's name is Father, and he's ours. It's a plural. It's not just Jesus' Father. He says, now, to all of you who follow me, this is our Father. And um, the, the word there for Father is P-A-T-E-R, pater. And it's not uh, any of the other names associated with God. This is about a family association and identity. He says, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. The glory of your name. So he's demonstrating respect and honor. He's telling them, this is how you began. If you want to talk to the king, let's do it right. Let's come in with some respect and honor and show him what's due him. Because if you see him, you wouldn't have any problem because you'd be on your face. Okay, and he says and he's demonstrating respect and, and he's, it's reserved only for God's holy name, which is another sermon I wanted to do sometime. But follow me as Jesus turns to the next priority of prayer. And this is the part I want to focus on. In this prayer, Jesus is basically saying, in, in, in the Aramaic, it translates different than in the Greek, but he's saying basically, Father, come and begin your kingdom reign here in us, through us, and among us. Bring it. Bring it. And let it just just inundate us so much that we're saturated that everywhere we walk, that we walk in this kingdom presence that it comes out of us in a very supernatural way. It's not, we don't grit our teeth trying to be nice to each other. The love of God flows through us because of the kingdom presence. So he says, in the translation, the Passion Translation reads this way. It says, manifest your kingdom realm. And cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth, just as it is in heaven. And so Jesus is, is privy to a scene in heaven that we've never seen. He said, I've been there, done that, and I'm going to tell you about it. Because it's like this. He gives us a glimpse, and he acknowledged that God's will, that the Father's will is absolute. You know what absolute means? Whatever he desires and speaks gets done exactly the way he speaks it. Amen. It gets accomplished. Because when he says it, myriads of servants are ready to enact his will. It accomplishes exactly what he wishes. And Jesus is saying, oh, by the way, the, the way that is, God wants that here. So that... In this earth, God will have full reign and dominion, and everything he desires and purposes will come to pass without exception. I'll tell you more about that. So he goes on to finish with these words. We acknowledge you as our provider of all we need each day, physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially. We acknowledge that you are the one. You're the provider of everything we need in our lives. Forgive us for the wrongs we've done as we release as, as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us rescue us every time we face tribulation 
and set us free from the evil one. Different verbiage, but it's the same context. And he closes with these words, and these are, these are good because I want to launch off of these. It says, for you are the king. For you are the king who rules with power and glory forever. Amen. And Jesus was in the place. <laughs> he said, listen to me. I'm going to teach you how to pray. And he is instructing us tonight how to pray. Remember these things. Remember who you're speaking to. And remember what's available here. Now, here's my point in reading through this passage. The reason he was preaching about the kingdom of God was so that mankind, all of humanity would begin to realize that God's rule in the garden had been usurped. God's rule and his co-partnering with his, his man creation had been stolen by another kingdom. And he says, I've come to set that straight. I will destroy that kingdom and I'll reinstall my co-laborers in the place where they were meant to be in the garden, where they ruled this earth. So God's plan was once again to restore man's dominion as governor administrator over the earth to co-rule with God through the Holy Spirit's leading in the exact same way that it's done in heaven that we would enact that with that same power on this planet. You okay with this? Because it ain't happening yet, is it? So well, there's something here that we haven't tapped into that I got a clue tonight on how this works. So in case there's any doubt about what that actually means to co-rule and administrate in God's government, the Lord actually describes our administrative roles. He actually spells it out in one verse uh, in this earthly realm, and he uses these words. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has put in charge of his household to give the others in their house their food and supplies at the proper time? Now, that's a picture of another story, but what he's saying here is, who are my faithful and wise servants that I've given control of this whole plan over into their care? Who are they? Well, indeed, who are they? They are us. They are us. And it's not because we're, we're uh, resistant or rebellious. We are just not trained. And he, this is a season of us being trained to be faithful and wise servants. See, it's one thing to be in God's house and be a child and be his inheritance and receive everything that flows through that inheritance in its fullness. It's another thing to represent him in a governmental position as a faithful and wise servant. And we're called to both. We're called to both. It's not either or. You with me? So he says this. And he finishes with these words and he pronounces a blessing on the wise servants. He says, that faithful servant, when his master returns and finds him doing so. So he has an expectation that when he returns, we'll be about his business doing the things he's told us to do. You okay with that? Now, that's our theme for tonight. If the world is now under new ownership, what would that look like? And it is. He says, I've taken the keys. Na, 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 na. <laughs> and you don't have them anymore, devil. You have no power. You've been stripped of all authority. And now, this place is under new ownership. But is it under new management? <laughs> that's the key. And that's what we're going to learn how to do. So, 
The Lord was clear and left no doubt about what his followers were to do. And he said this. He says, as you go. Now, what does that mean? As you go about your daily little life, whatever you're doing, remember this. Preach the message. Speak the words. Tell people what's going on, that this place is under new, new ownership and that new things are about to happen. Begin to tell people that God has come close to them and desires to touch their lives. So as we go about our daily lives, don't forget to tell people that heaven's kingdom realm is accessible. It's close enough to touch, is his words. God has come close to man. He's devised a means by which mankind can reconnect with the Father in this lost place. And we're supposed to share that with people in our testimonies. So he goes on to say, the kingdom activity will look like this, by the way. You must continually bring healing to lepers and those who are sick. Go ahead and do that, he says. No doubt about it. I've done it. Now you have the power and authority. Go do it and practice it until you actually start accomplishing things and don't quit. And he says, make it your habit to break off or deliver people from demonic influence. And raise the dead back to life, by the way. Amen. You tried any of those lately? <laughs> His final words are this. Freely you have received the power of the kingdom. Freely release it to others. You have it. It's there. You just don't know how to deliver it and release it yet. And so we're going to begin to investigate that. So what does that mean? The power have we received and how are we to release it is the question. So the power we received and the means by which we release it will be exactly what we have seen in Jesus' life. Now he came in the form of man, did he not? And he said, by the way, I left all my divinity on the shelf. I'm not drawing on that. I'm going to live my life as a man. And I'm going to depend entirely on the Holy Spirit. So take note that this is the way you'll do it. You can't do anything in your own power. And if you try to, you're going to be a miserable failure. You're going to be a sad Christian. Remember, this is about drawing on the power of heaven that's available to you because you're my children and citizens in my government. And you represent me. Are you starting to believe a little bit? So this is about us teaching this until we believe it and practicing it until we believe it and begin to have testimonies and witnesses until we begin to make this a reality in our midst. So he says in Luke, in Luke 7, John's disciples came to Jesus uh, at John's instruction because he was in prison. And they asked him this question, are you the coming Messiah? We've been expecting, are we to continue to look for someone else? And John the prophet has sent us to seek you to, you to seek your answer. Without answering them, he didn't, even, he didn't even say anything to them. Without answering them, he demonstrated the answer. He says, watch this. Jesus turned to the crowd and healed many of their incurable diseases. His miracle power freed many from their suffering. He restored the gift of sight to the blind, and he drove out demonic spirits from those who were tormented. Only then did he say anything to them. He says, watch this, and then I'll talk to you. And you tell me if this is the real deal. The demonstration of the kingdom is in power, not just in word. It's in word, but it's in the anointed word, and it's in the power of the Holy Spirit to do these things. So Jesus didn't, only then did Jesus answer the question posed by John's disciples. Now go back and tell John what you have just seen and heard here today. 
The blind are now seeing. The crippled are now walking. Those who were lepers are now cured, and those who were deaf are now hearing. Those who were dead are now raised back to life. The poor and broken are given the hope of salvation. And you put your label on what that means. Poor and broken, you pick a category. It doesn't matter to him. If you're poor and broken, it's on the agenda. So Jesus makes it clear that the message of the kingdom of God comes not only with speaking it, but also in a demonstration of power. Not in a haughty, I got the stuff kind of way, because there's something that I'll teach you next month that talks about how is this then delivered? What is the heart of the kingdom? But first, let's understand that it's here and it's for us. And we need to begin to generate our faith. We begin to stir the pot here. I, I, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. Just be honest with God. So he makes it clear and that it comes in, in as a demonstration of great power. And that power that Jesus demonstrated is now, by the way, fully ours. All authority and all of creation in the universe has been given into the care of the church. Now, we're not seeing that manifest, but that doesn't mean it's not there. It just means we haven't learned how to take hold of this in faith and release it into the lives of people, right? So do we really believe that? We kind of do, and we really want to, don't we? Okay, and so let's just be honest. I kind of do, and I really want to. In fact, it's more than I really want to. I, I am really agitated here to learn how to do this in my lifetime. So, if we believe that message, how would that change the way we do life? Let me give you some clues. I've been giving this a lot of thought lately. As I thought and prayed about this mandate, I wondered where to begin. Where do you start with this? What is the foundation you can lay that you can build faith on? And if I believe what the Lord said in His parting words then what do I need to do with that information? And how do I put my faith into motion? How do I engage my faith, infantile as it may be, minute as it may be, how do I take that and sow that seed so that it takes root and becomes something powerful? So I was reminded of a story. <clears throat> and this is um, an encounter between God and a lost soul named Moses. Now, his story up to this moment in, in, this, in this Bible verse uh, sounds like many people I've known that have been in the ministry. Uh, you might recall that Moses had been raised in the midst of Egyptian royalty. He had everything, and he threw it all away and took power and wealth in that kingdom to follow his destiny as God's champion. As, God, as the shepherd of Israel. He knew in his heart he had a calling for that. And, and in, he threw the, everything away. All that the, the world had to offer to pursue that. He did it. But the problem is that in his zeal to accomplish his calling. All thrust, no vector. <laughs> in his zeal to accomplish something that he knew was a calling. He tried to accomplish that in his own power without understanding that it was only by the power of God that this could be accomplished. Does this sound familiar? The problem is in this zeal, he had failed miserably, ended up running for his life to the desert of Midia. And like many failed ministers, 
be they vocational people or just tried to do this stuff and gave up or just burned themselves out. He had his 40 years on the backside of the desert. Now, in 40 years, that's a lot of time to think about being a failure. That's a long time to entertain those negative thoughts and say, yeah, that's true. My bad. I'm a loser. I had a chance to be the person, and I blew it. And now here I am, and it's all over. So he's here on the backside of the desert rethinking his failure as a powerless shepherd. Man, I've been there. <laughs> I have been right there. It's here, though, that the story changes. Because he's about to have an encounter with destiny. And literally change the world. So we pick up the story in Exodus 3. And now Moses was keeping the flock of Jethro. He didn't even own his own sheep. He was working for his father-in-law, basically as a slave. And uh, he, he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, I don't know if this is his normal route or if he just happened on it and stumbled on it, but on this day, things were different. <laughs> this is his now. This is his moment redemption the angel of the Lord with a capital A and in the translation it infers that it was in fact the presence of God himself not a messenger appeared to him in a blazing flame of fire from amidst of a bush and he looked remember that we walk past fires all the time but we don't always look but this day he looked, and behold, the bush was on fire, yet it was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn away from the flock and see this great sight. Why, the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned away from the flock to look, <laughs> I'm emphasizing these because I'm going to tell you a story in a minute, God called to him. There's a sequence of things that are falling in place here. From the midst of the bush, he said, Moses, Moses. And God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet out of respect. Let's do this right. This is significant and you're in a holy place and a holy moment. So get down. <laughs> because the place on which you're standing is holy. It's consecrated. It's set apart for me to come in this holy way to invite you into something that's holy. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. There was a feeling of dread and awe that rushed over Moses like we would normally have if we had a burning bush in front of us that was speaking to us, calling us by name. And giving us instructions like this, I'd be on my face. And I would be confessing sin so fast you couldn't imagine. But he hid his face because he was afraid he might catch a glimpse of the true God. And, of course, the Hebrews believed if you saw God, you would die. You would perish. So I love these words of Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Because she wrote about this moment. And she captured this moment between God and Moses. And she said this, Earth is crammed with heaven. Every common bush of fire with God. 
But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries and daub their natural faces unaware. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. Now what is it that causes some to see and others to sit around unaware? These are just questions I ask myself because I want to make sure I'm in the right camp. Don't you? <laughs> what is it that propels certain people into spiritual events like this while others walk by unaffected? Have you thought about that? It's a good question, isn't it? So it seems that Moses was moving through his boring, hopeless life when he stumbled upon a supernatural moment. It's true that this was by God's design in his moment. It was by his will, and he initiated this. But there was something that drew God's attention to this man. Often when God's people find themselves nearing the presence of God, the Lord will appear in some way. Whether or not we're even aware he's there or not, suddenly he will give notice that he's come to attend and invite us into a kingdom encounter. See, wandering into the lion's den is not for the faint of heart <laughs> or the casual observer. So read on with me. So the picture is this. Those who seize God's movements and those who have somehow been drawn close, what follows is that we suddenly find ourselves invited into something that is our destiny as children of God. God's orchestrated this in perfect time a perfect heart condition and perfect encounter to create a moment of invitation to his children. It's risky and sometimes scary, but it always is an adventure with a big God. So don't back away. Press in. So help me with this question. If I find myself seeing some kind of activity, a God activity, what must I do to respond to this invitation to become Faithful and wise servant of God. How do I respond to this that I might be drawn into the fire of God and lit up? Here's a clue. It seems that when God lures us in with an awareness of his presence, the response that he is looking for is, what we, is, is that we will, first of all, turn away from our normal pursuit in order to investigate what he's about. I put my life on pause to attend to his invitation. Okay? If we're aware that it's God, time out. This is important. This is my now moment. And this is the next step in my destiny. So it, there has to be an awareness and a heart to the desire to respond. God knew that heart and he created the scenario. Our turning toward the spiritual activity is an intentional act, by the way, of our will. It's not something God will do for us. It's, it's totally our choice to turn to Him. And when we do, it sets in motion things that propel us into the future. When we exercise this, in order to investigate this possibility of meeting with the Lord, as we turn aside, the story tells us we will come aware and recognize his presence. There's something about this that's a God thing. And we'll recognize that he's about something and we've been chosen to engage him in this. 
It's in this turning my focus and my steps toward him that I acknowledge his presence. I'm going to teach on that as a whole different subject later, what it means to acknowledge God's presence, what happens when I do that. And it's at that moment that my affections and my heart begin to turn toward him as well. When I turn my focus to him, my heart follows. And I am warmed in his presence and my affections turn toward him. Would you agree with that? Have you experienced that in worship? That as we focus and we give him the respect that he's due, we began to sing of his goodness. Our affections are warm toward him and something engages with the Spirit of God in that moment. This is a now moment in which I become arrested by the Spirit of God. And I'm held in his grasp for his purpose. See, because it speaks volumes, this, this thing speaks volumes about God's heart. As we turn our focus and our attention and our affection toward God, it actually causes him to be attracted to us. He is attracted to these things as we turn and look and move toward him. He is attracted to that encounter. In other words, when you become aware of God's activity and you show interest by turning away from the norm of your life, the busyness and the distractions of life, if you will stop right there and turn to him, spiritual things will begin to go into motion. You will become attracted. He is, in that moment, attracted and stirred by your response. Jeremiah knew that when he quoted God prophetically. This is in Jeremiah, most of you know Jeremiah 29, 11. Two verses later, he says this. You will find me when you seek me. If you look for me in earnest. In other words, if you look for me with a loyal heart, if your heart is affectionate and turned toward me and there's a hunger in you, I'll guarantee you that you'll find me. You'll not miss me, and I promise you, if you'll do this, I'm there. You okay with that? All right. So you see here, God's response to our turning aside is to call us closer. Take off your shoes. This is a significant, holy moment. Come closer. When I become aware of God's presence and my response is to turn aside, it signifies a willingness and a hunger to move into this relationship with God that lights his heart on fire. If you don't believe that, read the Song of Solomon. It's the story of Jesus and his people, of the Father and his nation. It's the story of God's heart that turns to people that are for him and attracted to him and have a hunger for him. I think Second Chronicles 16 illustrates this response. Um, so let me read this little passage and we'll just unpack it just a little bit. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God's looking over the whole earth for a single person whose heart is for him and loyal to him and wants to be with him. Loyal hearts will find a way. God is looking for these hearts to and fro throughout the earth. And when he finds one, he arranges an invitation to join him in what he's doing. We're drawn into the relationship of love 
we are strengthened and encouraged and empowered to go be about the business of God as his government on this earth. See, our purpose is fulfilled in turning aside. It's in turning aside to him that our life begins to take on meaning and life and, and, and color and essence. And he reminds us today that he is, by the way, the Emmanuel of God's story. God is with us right up until the end of time. Do you get the message tonight? Do you understand that he is for us? He's calling to us and he's serious and he's not going anywhere. And all he wants us to do is come practice our turning aside so that he can connect with us and love us and encourage us and give us the faith that's necessary to become the people who do the things that Jesus did that bring glory to the Father. You agree with that? Well, let me pray for us then. I'll stop right there. <clears throat> so Father, speaking for myself and many of us here, as we consider all that you've spoken today, we are, uh, I'm overwhelmed by the challenge of representing you here on earth. It's an impossibility without your power, but it is a total kingdom reality. If we will receive, embrace your power, this will come to pass. It's your promised word. We were reminded that it was in complete dependence on the Spirit that Jesus did all he did, and it still is. We recognize that. We bow our knee to that. We surrender to your will, and we submit to you and ask you to come close, to call us aside and speak our names. And we promise that we'll do all that we know how to do to reach out for you. Help us to be now open to your invitation and become wise and faithful servants who care for your household. We ask for a sign of your activity in our lives and we purpose in our hearts to turn aside when we see you. Engage us, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.